Today, we're joined by my friend, the wonderful Sylvie Legere Ricketts. Among Sylvie's many accomplishments and achievements, she brings incredible passion and creativity to her work, particularly to her efforts to impact the world and to leave it better than the way she found it, which is just awesome. That is especially true related to her work to engage, support, and empower women. She's also the creative genius and the co-founder behind the Policy Circle. Sylvie, welcome. We are so thrilled to have you here on She Said, She Said. Thank you. It's really great to be here. And it is fair to say that this podcast really would not exist without Sylvie's inspiration. Okay. <laughs> Sylvie uh, called me up after a wonderful summit that she had hosted and said, I have this great idea for you. And it was to start a podcast where we feature amazing women. Little did she know she would be one of our early guests. So we are thrilled to be here and so grateful for the inspiration that you give to us and so many others. Well, I'm thrilled that you picked up the idea and, and more than ran with it, actually made it completely happen. So I'm so impressive that you pulled that together in such a short amount of time. Thank you. Thank you very much. So let's get right into it and talk about the policy circle. What is the policy circle? So the policy circle is an organization. It's a nonprofit, nonpartisan organization. And the goal is really for women to have a forum to come together and hold a discussion, a roundtable discussion around policy. Women living in the same neighborhood or women who share uh, professional professional interests. And uh, they come together on the right whenever they want, every other month, and they have a discussion around a policy brief. So our organization pulls together a library of briefs that covers all of the issues at a national level. We stay away from social issues, so those are all economic issues. So policy that impacts our lives, our community, our state, our nation. Where did the original idea for the policy circle come from? So it came from going to some conferences around policy uh, and uh, meeting other wonderful women there who really did not fully feel part of the dialogue, feel invited to contribute, but had a lot to say. So I came home wanting to really continue the conversation with people in my area. I didn't want to go downtown and to some conference and be talked to about hearing a presentation. I wanted to take the time to go beyond the headlines and um, have a chance to, to explore the issues with, with other people so that I could learn. So I love the story, um, and you've sort of touched on this or alluded to it a little bit, but you had an existing book club, right? And you essentially retooled your book club into an opportunity to engage the women in your community to talk about policy. That's kind of where this started, right? So we were just four women who went to a conference downtown in Chicago and came home and said, you know, I think there's other women who would be interested in hearing about poverty and hearing about solutions to, uh, to, 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 to do reform. Uh, so we decided to organize just a gathering and, uh, and, and said we all came together. So people invited people. We ended up with about 15 or 20 people in the room, and we all sat in the living room. And this is where I had the idea of just going around, because we didn't really have an agenda. 
And we just went around the room and everyone just shared why they were there and how they, with time wearing many hats, they decided to just not partake in any kind of conversation that was around policy or politics. So we decided the next time we would meet, we said, well, let's talk about something. Let's pick a book. And that's why we picked the book, Free to Choose, by Milton and Rose Friedman. And it's also, um, Rose Friedman was actually Milton Friedman's wife. Um, she was an economist in her own right. And she was also very no well known to engage in very deep discussion with her husband and other economists around policy issue. And that became kind of the name of our group, which we called ourselves the Rose Friedman Society. And uh, in this first meeting, we spent literally two and a half hours. We First off, we had agreed that we would read only the first four chapters of the Free to Choose book, which makes it all manageable. And, and women who are busy uh, took the time to read those four chapters. And then we spent two and a half hours essentially having a discussion around this book. At that time, we were, we were 25 women that came for that second meeting, and we all divided into three different groups. So this is where you know the pieces of the policy circle started, smaller groups of, of 10, 6, 12. And, um, and then we each had individual discussions and then came back and shared what we had talked about. That's also where we had discovered that we, each of these groups, spoke about something very different. Each group had very different conversation about the same topic. How did you pick Free to Choose, right? Free to Choose was written in 1980, um, and this was just after Milton Friedman had won the Nobel Prize in 1976. Um, but it's kind of amazing that the, that the principles and the themes would still be timely, but clearly they were. They, they are, and actually it's a really, it's a foundational book, I think, in our society that we forget to read about just to understand the, our responsibility as citizens, because when we live in a free society with freedoms comes the responsibility of being informed, of making informed decisions. And, and, and then also assuming the consequences of those decisions. Also, another, another key piece of this book is about just policy should not be good intentions because there's always unintended consequences. And that was a key message that, that was really is critical to have in your vocabulary when you engage into discussions about policy. So we felt it was a foundational book. We felt it was an accessible book. And also the fact that it was written by a couple, by mm -hmm. two economists, were the reasons we picked it. Which is amazing. It's amazing. So you've since evolved the, the uh, curriculum, for lack of a better word, away from free to choose, although I'm sure you encourage folks to, to read that too. Yeah. But now you have a different curriculum. Talk about what folks typically discuss and how those materials come together. Right. So you just... So after we read the book, people were like, next time we meet, let's talk about the health care, right? And this is back in the days of Obamacare. And then so I started doing this incredible like, re research on, you know, all the articles that were out there. And that's when I realized I cannot do this. I am not qualified to, to call through all these articles and research and assemble it in a way that is 
is readable and in a way that we can do the discussion. So that's where we decided to actually bring on board a policy editor. And my co-founders and I design really the table of contents of each of our briefs. So we have a few criteria around the briefs. One is it should not be more than 10 pages. It's more like eight pages. Mm -hmm. It is multimedia. So therefore, there's videos. There's always videos. It is, um, there's always links either to a research, a more in-depth research, or articles that have appeared in the, in the media. And um, we also, as I said before, we stay away from social issues, but we stay away from labels. And it is, it is a, a core thing of the policy circle is that women have a mind of their own. Women are multidimensional. They cannot be put in a box with a label, whether it is a political party label or a right, left, conservative, liberal. So we stay away from using those labels in, in the brief, but we present truly policy. Um, Do you think by staying away from labels, it helps folks be more collaborative and more constructive just by the notion that you're not assigning a particular partisan label to it? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because then you're just really looking at the policy and, and the, the potential impact of policy, the intention also, the end goal, right? So the, so the each, we try to frame, so I'll, I'll talk a little bit about, you know, the, um, the different briefs that we've created. What we did is we organized um, the year into what we call a year of conversation. And we say you can meet every other month to discuss you know, a theme. So January is the U.S. and the world. And for that, we've developed some briefs around foreign policy and also immigration. The spring, March, is around the in and outs of free market economics, the in and outs of U.S. economy. And there we have economic growth, taxes, fiscal responsibility, um, uh, poverty. And then we have in the, in the spring, it is barriers of creating opportunities or barriers to opportunities. But we call it, we want to be positive. So creating opportunities. Uh, and that covers K-12 education, higher education, energy also. We have like different, different topics. Then in the summer, we recommend a reading. So reading a book. And so we have a reading list. And in the fall, uh, the focus is what makes the U.S. exceptional. So that's why we go back, we create a brief around why free enterprise matters, where we, ex we have some excerpt from the Free to Choose book, and, and also some primer on how the House works, how the Senate works. So some basics. And then November is around healthcare. So, so at this point, the policy circle's been around for about two years, right? right? And you have a, almost 2,000 members that have gravitated to it almost through word of mouth, right? I mean, you're, you are, you're, you're working through word of mouth. <laughs> so, so that's pretty extraordinary. Yes. We, were, we were talking with Sylvie before we started about the enormous amount of work that it is. And while I don't doubt that that is true at the same time, like that's pretty, that's pretty, out, that's pretty incredible to think about that amount of growth really through word of mouth, you've, you've tapped into something. Why do you think this is resonating with, with women? And this is l largely women, right? I, you, it you is don't, women. You, so you're not yes. discouraging men necessarily, but it is a, a circle of women. We are focused on women, and but our title, the name of our organization is the Policy Circle. We didn't call it the Women's Circle, etc., because 
division, perhaps in the future, would be to have a policy circle of men and women. We, we did not want to be pigeonholed in women. However, that is our audience. And there is a great value in knowing and, and trying to understand your audience because um, we are constantly really focused on what will what do we need to say or how do we need to say it? What collaterals do we need to provide to really spark the interest of women to find in themselves the leadership to start a circle with to other people and and the goal is for them to start a circle to just have a conversation about policy not to do something about it but to pause to go beyond the headlines and and to really try to understand you you learn um i think people learn different ways right people learn by doing they learn by being shown they learn from expectation failures but you also learn by asking questions, and that's called Socratic learning. And that's really the basis of the, the policy circle. And there's not a lot of opportunities for women to come together and just have a thoughtful discussion to, and ask questions to each other about policy issues, about what's going on in our community, in the state, in the nation. And that's the forum that the policy circle provides. And there's a, right now, there is a thirst out there for an ability to have a civil discourse mm -hmm. on the issues and not become emotional. You know, that, so I think that's why there's a real thirst. And, and but, but clearly there are challenges associated with an effort like this. What are, what are the biggest challenges you encounter? The challenge, the number one, well, thanks for asking, because it, is, it seems easy to say, oh, yeah, women coming together for a glass of wine. It's like a book club. Blah, blah. Well, it's not like a book club because of the briefs. You know, first off, developing the briefs and developing briefs that people can read and understand and is palatable. That is that is a challenge in, in itself. And um, the the other is really to is to have focus. When you launch an initiative like that, it's very easy to be um, to want to make it very big, very quickly. And I am uh, from the belief of lean startups, of starting something small, testing it, pivoting, constantly pivoting and improving the way we do things, the message, how we provide it, and to also listen to customer and listen to customer feedback and adjust. So that's what's been really hard is to slow down. And then to be okay with, you know, the growth that, that we've had, to be okay to just be, to be very organic and natural, but also to be very focused on the process, mm -hmm. focus on, on saying, you know what, this, it, it doesn't work. Like people are really, they go to our website and they're nervous. So we, we had to change our website to not say you're going to be doing all these things. We have to say, you know, that this is simple. You can do it to give people the confidence and, and to be listening to them and understand what will give people the confidence to start a circle. Is it hard to get volunteers to start circles in individual states? I know you guys are in 30 states now? We're in 25 states 25 now. states. 25 so states. So you have to have volunteers to take this yeah. on in an individual yeah. state. How difficult is that? Well, it's really, like you said, it's word of mouth. So now we have realized that they are, we need to cultivate what we call connectors. 
people who will encourage other women to start a circle and then that each circle are you know a little bit that need to sprout and and mentor other women to start other circle and spread the word all over the country and that's really our model right the the one of the early on we were trying to define our brand and one word that came up was natural so and welcoming so the idea of the circle the idea that it's in your living room that it is a small number of people it makes it a welcoming environment makes it natural and our growth is a natural growth so that's been our our focus that's been our approach to growth Our goal, we have ambitious goals though, right? And it goes back to being focused and having goals. We would like to see 20 circles in each of the states. Now I could keep growing in the 50 states. I'd really like to reach 20 circles in the 25 states that we have so I could say this is where we have a critical mass and we could go from there. That's great. So you talk about um, growth goals, but what about other types of goals? What, What do you hope will come out of this exercise? What, what do you hope these women will do with this new knowledge, this new confidence to talk about policy issues? What's your dream for where the policy circle will circles will take us? Yeah, the dream is to really move the needle. There's two needles that need to be moved today, right? One is in politics, however you look at it, women make up 20% of the women in office in in Congress nationwide and also statewide. That is one needle. In business, only 6% of the CEO of S&P 500 companies are women. Only 20% of the the, the executive, the C-suite, are women. There's no reason for that. We, We have we have presence in managerial positions. We have all the degrees where where is the gap right the opportunities are there and we have one place to look at now and it's ourselves and the policy circle i feel is a way for women to find this part to ignite in women this confidence to go to shatter their limit and to go to the next level and that next level of becoming a true leader in our society whether it is in the policy politics world or in the business world are you beginning to see those dreams realized do you have women that are contemplating running for office that might not have otherwise that yes definitely you know in in the in the circles i think it doesn't take much right to uh, hear yourself the key thing of a circle is you come prepared having read the brief and come prepared to share your understanding of of a policy issue and when you do that, you hear your own voice. When you hear your own voice, well, you realize, hey, I'm actually sounding pretty good. And, uh, and then you start also, you start to have the right lens for you to look at what's happening around you and seeing, finding ways to influence it, finding ways to, to participate in shaping the environment that we are in. So we are seeing women asking each other to supporting each other to run. That is not our end goal, but is to it is to give, I mean, as an organization, it's not what we do, but it provides a forum for women to be inspired to um, either run for office or be 
raise their hands to be appointed on commissions to counsel governors or you know or be part of their community why do you think that's so difficult for women i mean the you know the studies show that there's a real difference between the sort of natural inclination for women to raise their hand to volunteer to feel prepared enough to jump in versus a man who might be you know 30% prepared and perfectly comfortable jumping in for a job that he may not be 100% prepared for where do you think that difference comes from that's kind of interesting because that's really the difference between leadership and manager right manage and women are very comfortable being managers being getting the stuff done because perhaps it's how we grow up and how we are rewarded and and perhaps also just inwardly inside of us we feel really good when we get a lot of things done when the to-do list is done we don't put as much value on relationships building a network building bridges and learning value and learning how to do that but just even having a conversation about even in the policy circles right having a two and a half hours about conversation of women talking about economic growth and now the conversation women are like well it's really nice to talk about it we need to do something right well by talking about it we get to know each other in a very different way we get to know what's important to each of us We get to know what we do, the perspective that we bring when we look at economic growth. We are building a network, a network that can that can help us influence our world outside of the policy circle in very different environments. And we don't value that enough. Right? We don't take the time to do this, and um, and we should. So that the policy circle is is really a starting point to to do that. There's also a real intersection with with leadership. So. Women, you know, in, in the workplace to be a leader, to be considered for higher positions of leadership, you need to be able to facilitate difficult conversation. You need to be able to set a, a direction. You need to be able to d- be comfortable with uncertainty. Those are the skills, a few of the skills of a leader. And we don't have a lot of chances to practice those because it's a little bit outside of our comfort zone and the policy circle becomes a very simple forum for us to practice those and then so when the conversation comes up at work with your board in a different setting we're okay stepping in and, and expressing our views in a fact-based in a rational manner grounded in in principles when you launched the policy circle did you have a particular sort of age woman in mind or are you looking at potential engagement with women as young as sort of high school and college age sort of what's the vision for kind of the you know the sweet spot in terms of what you're looking for what do you think where the greatest impact comes from so yeah when we started we started with ourselves myself so you know like 40s I'm not going to say all of them, but the 40s, right? <laughs> Women, there's also, so so that was kind of the, the original sweet spot. There was also another reason for that. And and um, 
when you look at women and and our evolution just in the community when we start in our 20s those are the selfish years where you're building the skills you're building the relationship you're building up your careers the 30s may be where you have more of a family your focus is more on on building your families and the 40s and 50s is actually where you're looking at giving back and and really you're ready from your life experience professional and personal you're ready to be a leader in your community. And that's actually where, when women should really consider running for office because that's when you really can bring something powerful to, to the table. You can before too, obviously. But, but that's a good place, right? So I think the policy circle, though, as we presented and as our growth attests, is, is a model that's very appealing to young women who feel a little bit lost with everything that's going on, especially today, and want to have a forum to have an in-depth discussion. And we give that women a reason to have a serious conversation. Otherwise, when do you have those conversations? Not, not at a cocktail party, not a networking event, not, there, there's no space. So mm-hmm. this is a, a reason for women to have a serious conversation. And then so that fits into the millennials, any point in time, to prepare you for the time that it's kind of the springboard for when you are ready to take the next level. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to college and high school, I hesitate to go there because it's such a different environment. And, uh, you know, again, it goes back to growing an organization and being responsible for an organization. You need focus. You need to focus on your customers. And that's why I want to focus. We do have policy circles on campus, but it's not our my main audience and crafting the message. But all everything that I've learned and all of the women that participate in the policy circle, that's something that you can teach your daughters, that you can your niece, young women. Those are all skills that they could practice and uh, that, that are invaluable, that really valuable. So Sylvie, let's talk a little bit about you, a little bit more about you the person. Um, you're French Canadian. Right? That's right. You have this wonderful accent right. that I love. You studied computer science, right? And process improvement in college. You were you were into STEM before STEM was so cool. I was, right. <laughs> my, me and uh, myself and Melinda Gates. Same. We were like, <laughs> Melinda Gates was also a graduate in computer science. And actually, I heard her speak, and she is the one who pointed out that when I was in computer science, this is late 80s, um, women made up 37% of the student body in, in computer science. And today, it is 17%. I know, it's terrible. So until I heard her say that, I was like, why? I don't understand why all these women are complaining about women in technology. I don't get it. All of my classmates were in technology. So um, so I started, I was worked in consulting. And uh, I worked at the time the firm was called Anderson Consulting, and today it's Accenture. And I was there for about 10 years. And I was very fortunate they sponsored me to, my office sponsored me to be, uh, to go to a special program at Northwestern University in uh, learning sciences. So my graduate degrees in computer science applied to learning. And um, how, and this was back when the year when Netscape launched uh, the first internet browser. So it was an exciting time to be in technology. It was an exciting time to be in the U.S. And I'm French-Canadian from Canada. And not only that, I'm from a 
town called Gatineau near Ottawa, the capital, so a government town where, you know, when you grow up there, your aspiration is often to work for government. Somehow, I always wanted to work for private organizations. But when I came to the U.S. at that time in 94, it struck me the freedom that people felt to just start and do anything. And, um, and that is why I started Policy Circle, because I feel that Americans have forgotten or are taking that for granted. And I don't. And if you talk to any immigrant that come here, they know it's hard, hard, hard work. But there's a spark that, that people have to constantly improve their lives and the lives of others, the lives of others. And so, so yeah, that's, um, that's my professional uh, kind of trajectory. And, and the, um, you know, this degree in computer science uh, applied to learning is directly applied to the policy circle because that's what we really embody. So you're also an entrepreneur and the mom of three relatively young children, right? How do you bring all of these various skills to bear on the work that you're doing? The technology piece, which you have brought the policy circle to life by using technology platforms seems sort of obvious, but, but also from an entrepreneurial standpoint, you and your husband, in addition to all of your various interests, also own your avid, avid cyclist, right? And you own a small bike shop. So you're small business owners too. How does all this come together in terms of the way in which you think about the challenges facing the country? You can take your experience from different, everything that you do and bring it all together in the enterprise that you achieve. Also, if you start paying attention to what people say and, and what people do, you get a really good feel on how the country is feeling, the mood of the country. And, um, and that's a good indication for you know, the direction that it will be going. So what advice would you have for someone lis listening who has an idea, maybe something similar to the policy circle or, or some other big idea, but they're not quite sure how to start or how to go about bringing their idea to life. What advice would you have for them? First advice is to really do a, a good research on what's out there. So that's what we did with the policy circle. We spent about a year uh, researching what are all the, the groups that are there, what are they doing, who are they talking to, and how can we be value add, right? So that would be um, that would be the first thing. And then to really define what you are about. What's at the, not to try to do everything, because you can't. So really to find a focus and, and stick to it. What about dealing with just downright fear? Right? It can be really scary to jump out there oh, and is. start something <laughs> new, so right? Scary. How do you, you don't seem to, to suffer from fear. So, <laughs> so how do you overcome I it? I suffer and a lot from fear. I quite, you know, that, 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 what is it? That uh, syndrome, the imposter, imposter syndrome. syndrome. Oh, yes. Right? The imposter, where all women, you know, all women. You have, hide right? it well. You, you hide know? it well. <laughs> 
Well, that, the fear, I think you have to really decide if this is what you really believe in and if you have the skills to do it, right? Another venture that we didn't talk about that I, I did before, it was called Food Fitness. And um, the model, the idea that we had, my business partner and I, were to uh, create an app that would be really easy to use and engaging for people with intellectual disabilities to be in a world where they pretend and through doing that, they will work out. They would move more. And the goal was to get them to move more without telling them do 20 setups or run back and forth 50 times. So we created this app that um, people pretended to go to a baseball game. And every little phase of the baseball game was actually a reason to do different movements, but also a reason for engaging with the person doing that with you. So, 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 so give me an example. So example, you're walking to the game and then you're doing, so the, the app would show you the streets of Wrigleyville and also show you a little exercise to do, to do high marching, et cetera, and encouraging the, the person and their, their coach to have a conversation about what would they bring to the game? What would they, you know, who are they with, et cetera. So you're engaging. And um, through doing that, we, so I always like start small, test it, see if it works, how people react. So we, we did this and uh, we tested it with a lot of people. And it was pretty amazing how people with intellectual disabilities would be pretending to run the bases and running at, at the crack of the bat, running back and forth 35 times, being timed on it. And then we would ask feedback, right? We would ask, we would ask feedback, and, and they had a lot to say. And that's where I, I realized that um, everybody has a voice, and everybody has a really good opinion and, and really good thought about what you do. And it's okay to ask for feedback. So going back to your original question about you're starting something new and, and you're afraid you have to not be afraid of feedback and not be afraid of pivoting taking that feedback and switching things around and I think that's that experience with food fitness gave me that confidence because I don't know anything at all about um, people with disabilities and I had to listen and um, and that humbled me but also gave me the confidence to say hey I'm on to something I don't know anything about this field but I created something of real value and um, so, so that would, I think that's what that's what um, allows me to not be afraid because mm-hmm. I can take feedback and I take it or leave it but I always pivot you know fear sometimes can come from a place of you know it can be scary to make a mistake Right. I mean, you're talking about the importance of growing when you get feedback, but when you get feedback that's really negative, it can feel like a kick to the gut, especially if you are a fairly typical woman and and striving for perfection, as many of us unfortunately do. It can be one of the worst things we do, but it tends to be something that an awful lot of people do. So when you have a setback, how do you make that pivot? How do you pick yourself up, especially if you're really disappointed? Something's just not worked out, right? Maybe it's not an all-out failure, but it's, you know, it's a big setback. How do you, how do you pivot? Like, what's your advice to well, people there's always for pivoting? A learning. Yeah, well, there's <laughs> always a learning, right? So, I mean, even if I go back this uh, food fitness project, 
somewhat of a setback because we didn't, I didn't, I was not able to launch it as a real business and transform the way people, you know, increase the exercise level of a large community. But I learned a lot. And in every single, um, everything that you do, whether it works out or not, you're always learning something that will probably be very useful the next time around to your next phase. I think Steve Jobs said, um, you know, you have to look at your life, not always looking forward where it's going, but sometimes looking back and seeing how you're connecting all the dots. And when you have a failure, that's just another dot that you'll be able to connect. And either you can be really compassionate, (laughs) it improves your compassion and empathy, or it really gives you new stories and, and new skills for you to, um, to, to go to that other dot. Do you think that experience informed the work that you've ultimately done with the policy circle? Like many of the things that you learned in terms of creating the platform were beneficial to what you're working on now? Yeah, you know, I have to say when we owned the bike shop, um, uh, I organized clinics for women to bike more. <laughs> so maybe that was my first entree into the world of getting women to expand their comfort zone. Um, and that was very early on where actually all of the bicycle companies were not necessarily marketing to women. And today they are, but we were really at the beginning. And I did not realize that. So, so that, that was, a, you know, that was a really good learning experience. And, and then with, um, you know, with uh, food fitness, the, this idea of, um, uh, of just listening and everybody having a voice is a really critical part mm-hmm. that I'm bringing to Policy Circle. And also food fitness, you know, as I was preoccupied with getting people to exercise more, what they told me is like, you know what? Um, it's really nice to get people to want people to exercise more, but what they want is a job. And however I met, we went to Misericordia, which is a very large campus in, uh, in Chicago, and met with these women living in, in one of the houses. And the first thing when you meet them is, is that they tell you about their jobs. And people with all abilities can only get a job if someone has a really big heart and a willingness to give them a job. And we need to have an environment where job creators can really flourish. And, uh, and that's really the, the very deep level down of why I want people to understand the impact of policy. Mm-hmm. Because I want a world where there's opportunities for everybody. So Sylvie, we ask each of our guests to leave us with their favorite life hack or a piece of advice, something that has informed your journey, something that's really important to you, maybe something that you share with other people with some regularity. Can you think of maybe a life hack or a piece of advice that's sort of your favorite? So I have to say this because I I hope that my kids will be listening to this. Um, Google Sheets. Okay, I'm going to need you to expand on that a little. Google yes. Sheets. Google Sheets. And, you know, <laughs> I've already said all the, you know, inspiring stuff, so I got to throw something. Google Sheets. Because you need to think about your life and everything that you do and when you make decisions in a table. So my biggest, my greatest life act is a decision matrix. 
So whenever in our family and even with my company, we have a hard decision to make, we create the list in a Google Sheet of all of the criteria that need to be considered. We have several columns that show what is the ranking of each of these criteria. And then when we have to decide between different things, different schools, different um, companies that you want to select to de do, develop or how you want to prioritize the order in which you're going to move forward, you need to assign a weight and a score to each of those. So you need to know how to sort. You need to know how to do the sum. You need to do how multiplication. So my advice is Google, Google Sheets. Sheets. I love it. I love it. Now, this is a level of insight. I, I hope that we don't extend this to what to have for dinner and where to go on vacation, but this, this may be. We do. <laughs> is that right? We totally do. It might be. We do. We do. We do. We do. Oh, Sylvie, thank you so much. It's so wonderful to have you. You can learn more about Sylvie and the Policy Circle by visiting our website at www.shesaidshesaidpodcast.com. There you'll find links to create your own policy circle. We'll be linking to the policy oh, circle, as well as photos from the conversation today and much, much more. Sylvie, thank you again. It's so wonderful to have you well, here. Thank you, Laura, for being the lighthouse. <laughs> for all sweet. these women out there, they inspire us. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening, everyone.